Uh, it is Easter Sunday, and so we are celebrating the resurrection of Jesus Christ today. And we have one final message in our series on the Gospel of Matthew that we've been calling His Kingdom Come. That's right. And uh, since we had a big Easter egg hunt here yesterday, I've been thinking a lot about um, Easter eggs. That's right. Big I, Easter I egg hunt. when I was a kid, uh, my mom would prepare a basket like this. My grandma would help, and we'd have a, an Easter egg hunt with me and my siblings. And uh, I, I used to love the hunt. And Your basket would, was a little bigger than mine, I, Pastor. This, this is a rather large this basket. This is definitely a large. I don't know if it was quite this big, but um, it had some cool eggs in there. And then they would scatter mm. these plastic eggs out in the yard. And sometimes there was candy in there. Sometimes there was jelly beans. I didn't really like the black jelly Does anybody really like the black jelly beans? Why I mean, would you give your kid know. a black jelly bean? But I don't get sometimes it. Sometimes my grandma would put a quarter in, a, in an egg. That seemed like a lot of money back Whoa. then, and so we were really excited about it. That probably was a lot of money back then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, been, it's been a long time, yeah, so, yeah. How about you? Got any Easter memories? You know what? I love to dye eggs, you know, and in here I got a couple eggs. Um, maybe you remember, I, I, first of all, I love hard-boiled eggs, favorite food, and then you could just, you could take it and you'd dye it in there, and then you'd, you'd write little things on here, like this one says, he is risen, and uh, there's a green one in here that's got a cross, nice. and uh, maybe a little star on the back, something like that. Um, you know, I, you know, one more in here, I think. Yeah, this one says, uh, this one just says dad. All right, so, so you can do all kinds of things with, with, uh, with the, uh, the colored eggs. It was really, really cool. And then you get to eat them afterwards. You so, know, like, yeah. and they're good, right? Yeah, so salt and pepper, it's good stuff. That's right. My, uh, my all-time favorite kind of egg is right here. The Reese's Peanut Butter Cup egg. Right? Wow. Chocolate and wow. peanut butter. This is a little piece of heaven on earth. 160 calories of divinity right here. I eat this thing and I say, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That's, That's right. And you didn't feel quite as bad as if you like ate the head off of the peep, right? Yeah, yeah. That's good stuff. Not quite as good as the, as the, as the chocolate egg. That's like cruelty to animals. It is. I know. Like I know. We, we get in trouble nowadays. Well, well listen. We should that, stop um, eating. We should stop eating. You're right. Um, so that, that, uh, that last sentence that Pastor Dave said, that's actually a quote from our series, His Kingdom Come. And uh, as I mentioned before, we're finishing a series on the Gospel of Matthew. Now, Matthew, if you don't know, was a first century follower of Jesus who wrote down biographies of uh, Jesus' life, one of the biographies called uh, The Gospels. And over the last three and a half months, we've been studying this incredible book, and it's been really such a joy for me. Has it been a joy for you, Pastor Dave? I've had the time of my life. In fact, I'm a little sad that it's over, actually. Uh, there's nothing quite like just diving into the life of Jesus. And as I finish up my peanut butter egg, let me remind you that we have been on a journey with the Lord Jesus. And we've looked at some of his most significant teachings, some of his most significant miracles, uh, some of his most significant conversations. And we've been traveling with him uh, from the times where he stepped onto the pages of history uh, to his work right up at, at the end, the work that he did for us on the cross. And that brings us to where we are today, chapter 28. And it is the final chapter. This is the culmination of the life and ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. I've been looking forward to chapter 28 this whole time, haven't you? Dude, one of my favorite chapters in the Bible. Let me pick up my, my leftover peep right here. Um, we, you know what? What we're going to see today in chapter 28 is that the message of the gospel is something that completely changed the world. And we are... Not exaggerating when we say that, right? I mean, uh, it changed the world, and more importantly, it changed my life. And I know it changed your Me life, too. too, right? Me too. Yeah. So, so um, we believe that, that that message can change your life as well. Now, some of you here today may be a little more skeptically minded, and you're going, yeah, 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 I've heard this before. Um, 
but I'm really not sure about all this. Well, maybe you have some doubts. Maybe you're sitting here today, you have some doubts, or maybe you had a bad church experience, or you went to college and you drifted away, or maybe somebody told you something about the Bible and you lost your confidence in it, or, or maybe there was a tragedy in your life and you prayed and God didn't answer your prayers the way that you hoped. Well, we don't know your story here today as you've walked in, but we want to urge you to do something, and it's this. We want to ask you, would you be willing to reconsider the truth about Easter this morning just for a few minutes? Because we believe that you owe it to yourself to examine the claims of Easter. Tim Keller, who's a pastor up in New York City, says this. He says, I always say to my skeptical, secular friends that even if you can't believe in the resurrection, you should want it to be true. Now, he goes on to say this. He says, most of them care deeply about justice for the poor, about alleviating hunger and disease, and caring for the environment, yet many of them believe that the material world was caused by accident and that the world and everything in it will eventually simply burn up. They find it discouraging that so few people care about justice without realizing that their own worldview undermines any motivation to make the world a better place. Why sacrifice for the needs of others if in the end, nothing we will do will make any difference? However, if the resurrection of Jesus happened, that means there's infinite hope and reason to pour ourselves out for the needs of the world. You see? Now, I think a lot of people here are searching for answers. It's like all of us are on some kind of hunt, like an egg hunt, a search, if you will. I think that's why we love Easter egg hunts, and that's why people flock to it, so they can find eggs. It's because it's a picture of our lives. We're all on a hunt. Maybe we're hunting for purpose, or we're hunting for meaning, or we're hunting for answers, or identity, or maybe we're hunting for truth. But for many of us, it's like that line from that U2 song, I still haven't found what I'm looking for. So how about you? Where has your hunt taken you? And where do we go to find answers to these questions? Well, well we believe that we can go to the Word of God. And so we invite you to open up your Bibles this morning to Matthew 28, as we've been mentioning. And we're going to look at this gospel one more time in a final message that we're calling the Easter Hunt. The Easter hunt. And as you'll see, uh, our message is going to be outlined in three parts. We're going to talk about first the hunt for the body. Then we're going to talk about the hunt for the truth. And finally, we're going to look at the hunt for us. Now, before we do that, would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning. And Lord, I don't know how everybody has walked in here. I don't know the questions. I don't know everybody's life story in depthly, Lord, but you do. You know each and every heart that's in this room. You know each and every person that's here. And it's not a mistake that people are here. And so, Lord, I pray this morning that if, if, we, if we believe in you, Lord, that we would be encouraged once again of the truth of the resurrection, Lord. And, and if we don't believe, Lord, I pray that, that we, would, uh, we would take seriously the claims of what uh, you, Lord Jesus, uh, put forth in your word. So we ask that you would soften our hearts and prepare us today for what you would teach us. And we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So we're going on a hunt, and we thought it would be kind of fun to go on this hunt together. And so to find out where we're going, we're going to collect eggs today. And so we're going to be looking for some eggs. Does anybody out there see near them a yellow Easter egg? Anybody? Oh, right here. Okay, very good. Front row. This is easy. Uh, my friend here has a yellow Easter egg. And what's your name, sir? Jackson. Jackson. Awesome. Open up the egg, and uh, do tell us what 
does your egg have inside of it? Matthew 8, 28, 1. Matthew 28, 1. Awesome. So that would be a good place to look for our hunt today, right? I'm going to ask you to give me the egg back and I'll trade you for a piece of candy. I have Reese's, which is God's favorite candy, or <laughs> M&M's. It's up to you, though, bro. You can choose whichever one. All right, give my friend Jackson a big hand for helping me out today. Matthew chapter 28, verse 1. I happen to have that verse on the screen behind me. It's almost like I thought about this. And here's what it says. It says, after the Sabbath, at dawn, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. Now, the context here in this particular verse is after Jesus died on the cross Friday, after he was buried on Saturday, and here we are Sunday morning. Now, I just want you to think about this moment right here. Uh, these women are just going to do this kind of routine task of caring for their dear teacher's body. And they have no idea what they are about to experience. Uh, at this point, nobody was expecting anything unusual in this moment. Nobody was expecting any kind of miracle. They were expecting Jesus to stay dead, just like all dead people. Uh, they have no idea what they're about to find. They have no idea that the entire world is about to change. I mean, history is going to be split right here. Even the calendar is going to change in the next few seconds. And here we are. And next, something very extraordinary happens to these women. Pastor Bob's going to share with us. Something incredibly extraordinary happens. But to find out about this, we need to find our next Easter egg. So check around your chairs, check around your chairs, see if you can find it. Does anybody have a blue egg? Blue. A blue egg. Anybody out there? Anybody out there? What? Oh, oh my goodness, there we go. There's a blue egg. What's your name? Alexander. Alexander. That's a great name. Do they call you Alexander the Great? <laughs> no? All right, maybe they... All right, so can you read for us what is inside that egg? What does it say? Matthew 28, 2-4. Matthew 28, 2-4. That sounds like the next place we need to go. So why don't you trade me the egg? There's Reese's. There's M&M's. I left the peeps on stage. Sorry. All right. You go with Reese's. All right. Good. Great. Let's give Alexander a hand. Thanks so much, Alexander. Now, what we're going to see next is just something extraordinary happening, and it says this. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and, going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. Well, I'll bet they did. This is pretty startling, right? I mean, have you ever really been startled by someone? Some of you out there? So easily, I'm, I'm easily startled. And what, what happens is sometimes you go into a room... And you weren't expecting anyone to be in there, and then all of a sudden somebody pops up and, and makes you jump a little bit. Like sometimes I come into the office, I open the door, and Pastor Dave likes to hide behind the door just to scare me for some reason. I don't know why. Gives him pleasure, but you weren't we'll pray to for tell him. Anybody about that's that right. little game we played? <laughs> but what, that's right. Well, what happens is that I kind of jump and I go scary? ah, right? I'm, I'm scary. That's, that's what you're saying. Well, well, we'll let the audience determine that, Pastor Dave. <laughs> that's wrong. <laughs> so anyway, this is kind of like that. Only it's times a million. Right? This is a really startling scene, and they meet this powerful, supernatural, heavenly being. So let's look at that description again. It says he's bright like lightning, he's dazzlingly white, and then there's an earthquake. And these Roman soldiers, members of the fiercest military force ever created, are shaking with fear. And we have to wonder, wait a minute, who really has the power here? Is it the Roman guards guarding the tomb? 
or the angel of God on top of the tomb. And then the angel, after this, says something really, really important. Let's take a look at what the angel says. Verse 5. The angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples he has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now, I want you to notice a few key things about this verse, and uh, somebody needs to help me out with one of the key things. Uh, is there a purple egg nearby, anybody? Purple? Hey, hey, right here. Good. Purple egg. And uh, you, sir, tell the audience, what is your name? Brandon. Brandon. Awesome. Thank you for opening the purple egg already. And tell me, there's something in this verse I want you to highlight uh, that was inside of your egg. Can, can you read? Is that all right? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Read that for us. Just as he said. Just as he said. Hey, give Brandon a big hand for helping me out there. Go ahead and trade for a candy. Just as he said. I want you to notice those four words. Those are four really important words because what that is is it's an affirmation of the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. See, Jesus himself predicted that this would happen. And then it actually came true. And what that tells us is that we can also trust everything else Jesus had to say as well. Picture it like this, kind of the Gospel of Matthew ends with like this collision course. Picture two trains coming toward each other. On the one train is Jesus, and there's these claims that he's making, and on the other train is these religious leaders, and they're making claims about blasphemy, whereas Jesus is making claims about resurrection and exaltation, and these two trains are in direct contradiction. They can't both be true, and so there's this collision course, and so we, we're wondering, the Gospel of Matthew is, is asking us, the readers here are wondering, well, who's really right? Which train is correct? Uh, on, on, on the one hand, Jesus got to have his vote, and the religious leaders on Good Friday, well, they got their vote. But on Sunday morning, it's God the Father who actually casts the deciding vote. See, that's what we have here. The resurrection is, is God the Father's stamp of approval on the life, ministry, and teachings of his son, Jesus Christ. And so the resurrection now frees us to accept Jesus' own interpretation of his identity and his own authoritative interpretation of all that he has come to teach and to do and to say and everything about his life with those four words, just as he said. Now, I want you to notice three other words in that verse, because I want to come back to them later. They are the words, come and see. Uh, tuck those away in your mind, and we'll come back to that later in the message. That's right, because something right now is about to happen. It says this in verse 8. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and ran to tell, their, tell his disciples. Suddenly, Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid, go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, there they will see me. Now can you imagine, here they were, they're on their way, and all of a sudden Jesus decides to pay them a visit. They come face to face with Jesus himself, the one who they just watched die. And they responded, I think, the same way that you or I would have responded when they, they see somebody who's dead and they've come back to life. Um, they show up and they come to speak to you because in their hearts, and probably in your hearts too, there's, there'll be a mixture of emotions. They're still afraid, yet they're hopeful. They're startled, yet also filled with great joy. Because now the women can see him for themselves. Can you imagine what this would have been like for them? 
What did they think? What did they do? I mean, what would you think? What would you do? Well, for them, it tells us something very, very important. And to find out that important thing, we need to find another egg. We need to find the orange egg. Does anybody out there have an orange egg hidden somewhere? Oh, I see an orange egg over here. Could you scoot just a little closer? I don't want to reach over everybody. Can you tell us your name? Heidi. Heidi. And what does it say inside the orange egg, Heidi? They worshipped him. It says they worshipped him. It focused on they worshipped him. Great job. Thanks so much for reading. Would you like M&Ms or Reese's? I won't judge you. All right. <clears throat> so thanks so much. Let's give Heidi a round of applause. Thanks for pointing that out. So it says that they worshipped him. They worshipped him. And that's a really, really important word here that we have to know because it is the Greek word proskuneo. It means to fall on your face in worship, and it's a very important word because it is reserved for worshiping God and God alone. And God has given strict instructions about this, that his people are not to worship anything other than himself. But friends, Jesus claimed to be God. He claimed to be God in the flesh. That is why he accepts their worship here. Jesus claimed to be God, and the resurrection of Jesus backed up that claim. And this is why they worshiped him. And this is why they placed their trust in him, because they saw Jesus die, they saw Jesus be buried, and then, and then, they spoke to Jesus face to face. Absolutely amazing, which leads us to movement two, and here we're going to talk about the hunt for truth, and we want to ask one question. It's really the ultimate question, and the question is, did Jesus really rise from the grave? And let's be clear, we're not talking about resuscitation here, we're not talking about reincarnation, we're talking about resurrection. We're talking about dead for three days. Uh, we're talking about rising up from inside a tomb and walking out. Did Jesus do that? Let me put it this way. Imagine, if you will, a regular uh, plain white egg. This egg right here is that's actually pretty amazing what God has created. We've got this protective shell, and this little chicken is inside of here, and uh, it grows and grows and grows and matures and matures and matures, and then it starts pecking, right? And it starts pecking and pecking and pecking until one day it breaks through to their outside of the shell, and then life on the other side of the shell begins. And I think in some ways that's kind of like us. In some ways, we wonder, is there really life outside of the shell of this world? Is there really anything beyond? Is there really any truth to this kind of story? It's a bit of a struggle to figure this whole thing out. Theologian Paul Zoll likens the egg to a picture of the human condition. He says, we're all trapped inside, and we all have this burning desire to figure out what's on the other side. That's what religion is all about. It's like we know there's got to be more than just life on the inside of this shell. Something more that would provide more meaning, that would provide more purpose and significance. And so we will try almost anything or any, any idea to figure this out. And we're, we're kind of pecking and pecking and pecking to try to get answers. But what is the truth? Is there really anything beyond this shell? Now, some people, some of my friends say, no. You know what? I think when you die, you die. That's it. But how do they really know that? How do you know what's true about this? Well, that's a really good question, uh, because we live in a day when people speak about truth in a really strange way. Like they say, religion is just a matter of personal preference uh, or opinion. You know, if that works for you, that works for you, that's great. Um, other people say things like, well, all religions are fundamentally the same. They're just superficially different. So just choose whatever works best for you. 
Something may feel true for you, but that might not feel true for me. Well, that way of thinking, the question of truth is completely avoided. And that's a huge mistake because even people who say things like this, I really don't think they believe that because, listen, let me illustrate it this way. Think about this. Uh, imagine you go to the bank this week and you say to the teller, uh, I need to withdraw some money from my account. And then the teller responds to you and says, well, sir or ma'am, uh, I don't feel like you have money in your account. Well, you would say, well, I really don't care what you feel. I know I have money in my account and I want to withdraw it. Well, you don't want the tower to look back at you and say something like, well, that may be true for you, but that's not true for me. <laughs> Hopefully you haven't had that experience. <clears throat> no, you want what's really true to be true, right? So when we think about truth in this type of way, we think about it in so many areas. And when it comes to the most important questions of life, the question of the afterlife and questions that deal with the grand realities of life, why do we throw truth out the window? That really, I don't think that really makes any sense. So is this account true? And for this, I need to uh, ask to see if we have another egg out there, uh, because there's some words I asked you to remember earlier. I need a green egg. Does somebody have a green egg in our audience? Some, yes. All right. Good man. And uh, I was hoping you'd be here today. And so what's your name? Freddie. Freddie. All right. Awesome. You got the green egg, right? Now's your moment of truth. Uh, Freddie, tell us what's inside the green egg. Come and see. Come and see. Remember that from the verse earlier? Okay, I'll trade you for a piece of candy here, Freddie. You got two choices. It's kind of 50-50. There you go, man. All right, come and see. Give Freddie a big hand for helping me out. Thank you, brother. Come and see. Come and see. Uh, those three words are really important because what that means is it's, it's an invitation to come and examine the evidence, isn't it? Come and see. Uh, that means that Christianity is not a blind faith that we're expected to just believe without any reason. It means that there are evidences for the reality of what we believe. We can come and see. We can come and investigate the claim. Now, I love those three words because that's what I really needed to do when I was first examining Christianity. And maybe you do too. Maybe you need to come and see. Maybe you have some doubts. Maybe like me, you're kind of wondering if this thing is really true. And I want you to know something. If you do, you are in really good company. I want you to know that the, these women we just read about, uh, these disciples in this passage here, basically Jesus' best friends, they all also had doubts. And they had doubts on Easter Sunday morning. I, I think that's so important because the men and women who were closest to the action here, the writers of the New Testament documents, actually record for us the skepticism of the earliest followers. That means Matthew and, and Peter and James and John and these women, they all expected Jesus to stay dead. The same people who become the spokesmen and spokeswomen for this new movement, they documented their own disbelief. My point is this. These were not like superstitious people. Uh, there was no dream they were trying to keep alive. Uh, there would be no Christians who continued on after this. Uh, there was nobody who committed to keep on going with Jesus' teachings and parables and keep the parable of the prodigal son going. There was no movement that anybody had any intention to keep moving. None of them assumed a resurrection happened. They all assumed Jesus would stay dead. And that brings us to our next egg. 
My turn again, all right. I am going out looking for the golden egg. Did anybody golden have egg. the golden egg? Any golden eggs out there? Oh, my goodness. Awesome. You got the golden egg. So can you, can you tell me what's inside that golden egg? Willy Wonka will be really happy with you. All right. What does it say inside there? Is this just a fairy tale? Is this just a fairy tale? Do you have a favorite fairy tale? No. My daughter loves Frozen. You ever seen Frozen? All right, well, not impressed by it. All right, well, anyway, let me trade you the egg for some candy. I'm sure there's a fairy tale that you love. Everybody's got a favorite fairy tale. But here's the thing. Here's the thing about this. Jesus, and some people come up with this idea that the story of the resurrection of Jesus is really just a fairy tale, that it's a legend. It's a legend. But here's the problem. There are, people would say that the Gospels are eyewitness accounts and that, that's really important because from a literary standpoint, and I was a literary major in college, um, the, the idea that this is a fairy tale really doesn't fit. Uh, the entire account does not read like other, another legend of that time period. I mean, you've got to notice the small details in this passage, things like there's a time stamp where Matthew writes down that this happened after the Sabbath at the very beginning of the day on a Sunday, just at dawn as the sun was coming up. That reads very differently than the ancient legends of the time, in that same time period. The Gospels don't begin with, once upon a time, Jesus came to earth. No. The reason is that the account of the resurrection of Jesus is not just another fairy tale. It's a historical record that needs to be investigated. Because being a Christian is not just about sentimentality. It provides a foundation of truth which undergirds our entire lives, without which everything becomes just a guessing game, or worse, an exercise in futility. So the genre here is not legendary. It is historical reportage. The next thing I want you to notice is that there are these women that show up in the account. The Gospels record women as the first and earliest eyewitnesses, which is interesting because one of the unique components of Jesus's ministry is his respect for and inclusion of women. That was actually very countercultural in the first century. In those days, a woman's testimony would not have been admissible in the court of law. And so why, if Matthew is writing some sort of, um, you know, made up story, why would he write that the first witnesses were women? How would that help his movement? Well, it wouldn't. Why would you write it that way? Well, you wouldn't. The only reason why the women are in the story is because that's actually the way it happened. Now, there are some alternative explanations floating around out there, and one of those is called the hallucination theory. Now, that's a big word, and so we need to find out what it means, and to do that, we're going to find yet another egg. So let's see, has anybody got a pink egg out there? We got a pink egg out there. Oh, my goodness, who hid these eggs? They're all in the same spot. All right. We got an egg over here, so we got the pink egg, and hopefully you can tell me what hallucination means. When your mind plays tricks on you and you see things that aren't really there, like a dream or a vision. When you see things that aren't there, like a dream or a vision. Awesome. Thanks so much for reading that. How about you take two pieces of candy, because that was a lot of reading. Awesome job. Let's give a round of applause. Oh, no. We knocked the golden egg out of the basket. We can't have that. I'll take the pink egg. Thank you so much. So, hallucination, like a dream or a vision. Now, here's the problem with hallucinations. Hallucinations are private, individual events. They're not something that's like corporate and big where everybody can see them. They're just something that, that you see yourself. And that's the problem with it. 
I mean, it's, it's not a group experience. It's something internal. You know, no one can really join you in your hallucination. So, so let me illustrate it like this. Um, it would be like if I was sleeping and I was having a dream about being on a tropical island. Anybody have a dream about being on a tropical island? Some of you say every night I do that. That's right. And then I woke up and I said to my wife, hey, honey, let's go back to sleep. Why don't you join me in my dream and we'll get a free vacation? It's a good I idea. Mean, if only, it's a good idea. That's right. If only that could happen, right? Now, I wish that were possible, but unfortunately it's not because hallucinations are private and personal. They're not corporate. Now, the other problem with the hallucination theory is that it does not account for, thirdly here, the empty tomb. It does not account for the empty tomb. The scriptures teach a physical resurrection. If you remember back in verse 9, together they see Jesus with their eyes and they touch him with their hands. And Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15, just a few years after this happened, that Jesus appeared to over 500 people. And he says, listen, if you want to find out this is true, there's some people still alive, you can go and ask them and verify whether this is true. N.T. Wright, who is a, a biblical scholar and wrote a landmark book on this topic, the, really the landmark book of our generation, he writes this. He says, the early Christians did not invent the empty tomb in the meetings or sightings of the risen Jesus. Nobody was expecting this kind of thing. No kind of conversion experience would have invented it. To suggest otherwise is to stop doing history and enter into a fantasy world of our own. Now, the point is this. We have here in all four of the Gospels eyewitness accounts of bodily resurrection, period. Wow, so N.T. Wright is saying that the ones who doubt the resurrection are the ones making up fairy tales. That's interesting. So, okay, maybe they <laughs> did see Jesus. Maybe Jesus never died in the first place, though. Maybe that's what happened. Uh, Muslims, for example, say that Jesus didn't even go to the cross. Instead, somebody who looked like Jesus went to the cross. That's what Muhammad teaches in the Quran 600 years after it happened. But here, again, is our issue of truth. Did he die or not? And the theory that's kind of swirling around about him never dying is called the swoon theory. I heard this once on the Discovery Channel. There's this guy on there saying, hey, maybe Jesus never died on the cross. Maybe he just kind of fainted on the cross, and he only appeared to be dead, and so he wasn't really resurrected. He just kind of swooned and got better. Let's think about that for a second. What you're saying is that Jesus was tortured through scourging. He was nearly beaten to death. Then he experienced crucifixion, which was death by suffocation. And if he didn't die quickly enough, the Romans would come, break your legs, so that you would die more quickly. More quickly. But when the Roman guards came... Uh, to break Jesus' legs, they said he was already dead. But just to be sure, uh, they pierced him in the side so that blood and water started to flow out, and it was the opinion of a professional Roman executioner that Jesus was dead. But this theory, the swoon theory, says that that Roman executioner must have been wrong. Then, Jesus must have been buried, by mistake, in a tomb for three days. He then recovered from all that brutal torture with no medical attention whatsoever, then he must have rolled away the stone by himself. Then he must have overpowered those Roman guards that were watching. And then he walked through the busy city of Jerusalem with nobody noticing his beaten condition and acted like nothing had happened. All right. Okay. So this one time I was playing basketball and I sprained my ankle. And I couldn't put any weight on the thing for like a couple of weeks. And it felt kind of busted up for about six months. 
You're telling me that Jesus went through all of that and just a couple days later, he's out and about walking around talking like nothing bad ever happened to him. This theory does not seem plausible. I'm sorry, the Discovery Channel. This can't be what happened. Jesus was crucified. It's actually one of the most historically verifiable facts in all of history. Non-Christians will agree that Jesus died on the cross. It was the opinion of the Romans, the Jews, the disciples, and these women and all of the witnesses that Jesus was, in fact, dead. But some people say, well, okay, all right, maybe he died, but maybe there's another explanation for the empty tomb. Maybe the body was stolen. Maybe somebody came in and they were a grave robber. And that's actually the oldest explanation, the oldest skeptical response in the book, literally, if you go back to the New Testament all the way back to Matthew 28, in the next section it says this, the chief priests gave the soldiers a large sum of money, telling them, uh, you are to say his disciples came during the night and stole him away while we were sleeping. If this report gets to the governor, we will satisfy him. So the soldiers took the money and did as they were instructed. And this story has been widely circulated amongst the Jews to this very day. Now. This scene kind of reminds me a little bit of, out of something like the movie The Godfather or The Sopranos or something like that. It's kind of like, hey, forget about it. We'll take care of it. You stick with us. Uh, we'll keep you out of trouble. And if the governor starts asking about it, we'll just tell him, hey, you're asking too many questions, all right? Why don't you just keep your mouth shut? Just remember, you didn't see anything, okay? Now, <laughs> why would you make up this story? I mean, the reason the religious leaders have power and the reason they want to keep their power and the reason Jesus was a threat to their power is that's the reason they wanted him gone. But after they thought uh, they had put an end to all this Jesus mania once and for all, now here he is again, and they don't like it really one bit. So maybe they stole the body. Is that theory reasonable? It would imply this. These cowardly disciples who were fleeing away from danger during the crucifixion, scattering like sheep without a shepherd, afraid of the Romans for their lives, suddenly these same guys mounted up the courage to overpower those Roman guards, steal the body of Jesus, then dispose of it somehow. We still don't know how they might have done that. Nobody figured out at the time. And then all these Jesus followers agreed to fabricate a resurrection story. And then they spread this lie and everybody believed this particular story in Jerusalem where it all happened. And it took off like wildfire in the first century and in the place where all of these things could be invest investigated. And these guys were so committed to this lie, all of them quit their jobs. And they all began to spread this news around the world as missionaries, fanatically sticking to this story without fail, even when they were threatened with execution. None of the disciples recant their story. Nobody gets to the end, and they're threatening them with death, and they're like, oh, okay, you know what? I think this is going too far. You know what? We kind of made this up. Time out. He wasn't really dead. We stole the body. Nobody gives up their story. Why would they stick to this? Why would they give their lives for a fabrication? Why would you do all that for a lie? What would be their motive there? For no personal gain whatsoever? They were more infamous than famous. Why would you give your life for something that was not true? Does that sound reasonable to you? It doesn't actually make sense when you think it through. What makes a lot more sense is that this writer, Matthew, was an eyewitness to the most amazing thing that's ever happened in the history of the world, and he's simply explaining what actually happened. And so, 
when we think about the hallucination theory and the swoon theory and the stolen body theory, really what we're saying is none of them actually make sense. Now, Dr. Gary Habermas is the most renowned scholar on the resurrection in the world, we might say. Uh, a guy who has literally read every single piece of literature on every side of the debate about the resurrection, and he's debated every scholar you could possibly debate. And he, he says this. He says, the historical resurrection of Jesus becomes the only plausible explanation for the facts. The only plausible explanation for the facts. And so this is where our hunt has been leading us, friends. That we are convinced that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is true. And I believe you can plant your faith right here. If you, if you have problems with everything else, plant on the resurrection. And if it's true, what does that mean for your life? Because if the resurrection of Jesus Christ is true, if Christ is risen, he is risen indeed. And it's not just that his spirit rose from the dead, and it's not just that his teachings rose from the dead. The evidence says his body rose from the dead. And Matthew, Matthew, this guy we've been with, we've been with, for, th with for three and a half months, says, I saw him. I saw him with my own eyes. And it wasn't just me. These women saw him, and, and, and Mark saw him, and Peter saw him, and John saw him, and all the other disciples, they saw him too. And James, James, his own brothers, James, James, the guy who wrote the book of James, he says he saw him. I mean, think about this. Just let this blow your mind here for a second. Do you know what it was like trying to convince somebody that your brother was the son of God? I mean, there was over 500 other witnesses who saw Jesus alive again. Do you know why? It is because... Christ is risen, and he is risen indeed. As the old song says, up from the grave he arose with a mighty triumph over his foes. He arose victorious from the dark domain, and he lives today with his saints to reign. He arose, he arose, hallelujah, Christ arose. Amen. Amen. Which brings us to movement three. You know, this whole time we think we're on a hunt, and the reality is it appears that Jesus is the one who went on a hunt for us, doesn't it? In fact, the Gospels tell us he came to seek and to save that which was lost. Why? Because he loves us. Walker Percy once described humanity as waiting for news, waiting for news. If you're thirsty for good news this morning... This is the greatest news in all of the world. This is the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection of the Son of God for the sins of the world. Do you know what this means? The resurrection means that Jesus really is who he said he was, the very Son of God. Do you know what else it means? It means the grace that Jesus talked about is real. Do you know what else it means? It means when you kneel down by your bedside at night and pray to the Lord Jesus, he hears your prayers. Do you know what else it means? It means God cares about us even though we may experience extraordinary suffering in this world. Do you know how, how we can get through that? Because these witnesses, they saw the worst thing happen to the best person they had ever met. And then three days later, they saw him rise from the grave. That's why. Do you know what else this means? It means there really is more than life on the inside of this shell. 
It means there really is a heaven. Not because we're told that as children or it sounds nice to say at a funeral. It means that there really is more than just this life. There is life beyond the grave. And we don't have to be afraid if we trust Christ of what's on the other side of this shell because Christ has conquered death for us. A few months ago, I was at a funeral for a young man named Caleb. Uh, Caleb was in his 20s and he had died tragically in a car accident driving to his grandparents for Christmas. His parents and his, his siblings were understandably devastated by this family tragedy. Caleb was a committed Christian. In fact, he worked in a production uh, outfit for a Christian ministry. At that funeral, the father uh, took the stage to share a few words. And he had brought with him these six candles, two larger candles and four smaller candles, two for the parents and then four for their four kids. And all of these candles were lit. And then the father took a candle snuffer and he snuffed out one of the little candles. And then he asked one of Caleb's siblings to go to the other side where they had these other six candles, two big ones, four little ones. None of them were lit and light one of the little candles on the other side of the room. And the father simply said that Caleb had placed his trust and faith in Jesus Christ, and he is now crossed over to the other side, and that is our great hope. And one day, we will join Caleb on the other side as well. This hope in Christ is how that family could get through that kind of tragedy. And that is the same exact hope that you and I have when we face those kind of extreme circumstances in our lives. This is what Christ offers us. When you find yourself lying on a hospital bed and the prognosis is not good, what matters on that day ultimately is not whether you've gone to church or whether you think you've been a good person or whether you think you've been a kind, successful individual in our culture. What matters on that day is whether or not you have placed your faith and trust in the one who has authority over life and death. That's what matters. Amen. When you have, you don't have to fear or worry or be afraid of diabetes or breast cancer or neuropathy or degenerative eye disease, or kidney failure, because when this body can take it no longer and you breathe your last breath and your heart beats for the last time, if you have faith in Christ, you have victory because you have united your life with the one who conquered death and in him and through him, you will also live forever. That's the gospel. That's the hope of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And all of that is true because he died and rose from the grave. Amen. So as we finish up here today, there's one more implication for the resurrection. It means, it means that if you trust in Christ, then your sins can be forgiven. And what we want to tell you today, friends, is that the scriptures are clear that the reason that we die is because we sin. We've all sinned. The Gospel of Matthew has been teaching us this lesson all along, that there is one man in all of history, who never sinned. And you say, well, well, then why did he die? I'm glad you asked that question. He died for you. And he died for me. That he paid the price of sin in our place. And that's good news. That's what we celebrate on Easter. And it means that if you place your trust in him, that God's forgiveness is available to you. And it means that you are loved by God. 
And so there's really only one question left, and it's this. What will your response be to this news? Will you keep searching and hunting for that egg, for things that are going to find, you think are going to give you meaning and purpose and hope, hunting for that elusive egg that you think will get you through life? Or will you bow your knee to Christ and trust in the one who has broken through the shell and shown you the way to the other side? I'd invite the worship team to come back on stage. We have one more song we're going to sing. And as they come, I want to ask you just a very personal question. Have you come to that place in your life where you've placed your trust in Jesus? If not, we want to give you that opportunity today. Paul writes to the church at Rome in chapter 10. He says this, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Have you crossed that line? Have you made that decision? If not, and you're ready to make that decision today, we pray that today would be the day. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we come before you now, and we thank you for the truth of the resurrection. We thank you that not only did you die on the cross, but you did not stay dead. You rose to show that you conquered the final enemy, death. And that is great hope for us, Lord. Father, I don't know everybody's heart in here today, Lord. Some may be searching. For those that are here today that know you, Lord, I pray that today this would rejuvenate us to be reminded of the hope of resurrection, not just your resurrection, but, but you come as the first fruits of our future resurrection and new bodies that we'll get, Lord, in the end. For those that do not believe, Lord, I pray today, may, maybe today moved on people's hearts, and I pray that, that they would pray that you, Lord Jesus, I trust in you. I trust that your death was, was, was satisfactory for my sin, that you paid the price for my sin. And because of that, because I placed my trust in you, now there's new life. Lord, I give you my life. And if, and if you pray that prayer, if you, if you have questions about this, come and talk with us. We would love to talk with you. Because today is a day to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Amen. stay in church. Let's sing this wonderful hymn.